Okay, so welcome to the latest edition of The Reset Show. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the brilliant Michelle Paris-Slater today. Um, so a bit of background about Michelle. Um, I first worked with Michelle um, over last year, really, when she was at the CIPD um, on a, a programme we developed for CIPD. More of that later. But Michelle is an award-winning L&D professional. She's got over 20 years experience in the industry. Um, she's the founder and director of, of Kairos Model Learning. Michelle, tell me if I pronounce that right or not in a minute. Um, which is an L&D consultancy um, specialising in driving a shift from traditional courses, the best of digital, social and face-to-face workplace learning, which I think is music to all of our ears. Um, she's worked with CIPD, as I mentioned, um, co-op. Duke of Edinburgh Award. She was the lead volunteer for L&D for Girl Guiding and was listed as one of the top 20 corporate e-learning movers and shakers a few years ago as well by the e-learning industry. And um, Michelle also has a a fantastic book that we're going to talk about today out on Kogan Page called uh, The Learning, uh, sorry, The Learning and Development Handbook. Want to get that right? Um, came out in 2021, so another lockdown uh, book baby. And it's a really, really practical um, book for anybody in the world of L&D, really. It's about how to develop um, effective and engaging workplace learning that improves performance, productivity, and the organization's bottom line. So a really good book. We're going to find out more about that in just a minute. Um, But Michelle, anything that I've not mentioned in my intro that we need to know about you? Okay, well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I um, am no longer the lead volunteer for Girl Guiding. So at Girl Guiding, our voluntary jobs are taken for a period of time and then we hand them to the next person, um, but we don't run away. So I am actually the specialist volunteer for the learning uh, platform, which we've very happily pleased to say we launched in January this year. So it's been a project that I've worked on as lead volunteer and alongside the rest of the team of staff and volunteers and finally super excited to get that project out there. So we're monitoring at the moment how it's landing and uh, of course what the experience is for people on that platform um, because we were all about trying to um, offer learning to our volunteers in a multitude of ways. So not just face-to-face but adding to digital and we've done webinar and now we're onto platform. So yeah, probably don't know that about me too. Oh, great really interesting okay we also need to know that you, you you uh you've got lots of dogs as well haven't you you, you love dogs <laughs> yeah i'm a bit of a dog obsessed person yes that is that is true but you'll be glad to know emma they're all around my mum's at the moment uh, bar one so you might hear one wolf but the two puppies who would end up squabbling um are, are not here so i can't even show you them on the screen <laughs> No, all good, all good. So thinking about, the, the, let's go back to the book then. Um, as I said, you know, the book was published in 2021. So I guess you're writing it over lockdown. Oh, um, no, it's not a lockdown baby book, actually. Yeah, so it? I started writing this book in 2019, um, before we even knew about Corona. So um, I'd written the majority of it um, before uh, we went into lockdown. But unfortunately, the, the publishers went on furlough. So it ended up being a lockdown book. So sometimes you might be reading through it thinking, well, that might have changed. But, you know, I've got my eye on edition two, you see. Yes. (laughs) Second edition eye. But some of the things, obviously, I was still writing and and there's a bit more of an influence of of COVID. But it has, you know, COVID as a a pandemic has totally changed the way we approach L&D. So definitely need to do a little bit of updating. But that's not to say the book's out of date, because the book is not about, um, you know, how we do 
L&D today, it's more about how you learn more about your context of learning and development. And it stages you through a process of thinking um, from previous thinking was around, you know, let's put on a course, let's let's get out there and do something, let's find a solution. But actually, the book is staged through the chapters to say, really find out what the problem is that you're trying to solve, really understand the audience and what the experience you want them to have is. Um, and and it, it gathers you through sort of stakeholders, consultancy and so on and so forth to finally get to the solution. Um, whereas what we tended to do in the old days of L&D is jump to the solution as soon as we were asked for it. Um, and that's why we can't necessarily prove our value very well. It's why we uh, don't always provide a solution that really lands for people. And because we perhaps don't know our audience enough, those sorts of things are, are in the book. And uh, yeah. not a lockdown baby, but uh, certainly useful in this post-pandemic world. Absolutely. So, so how did the book come about, Michelle? Well, I, I kind of wrote it for me. And I know that sounds weird, but years ago when I started out in learning development, I was a sole practitioner in an organisation. And so many of us in learning development are. We might sit with HR. Uh, we might sit with the people experience team. You know, we might sit in different departments. But often there's there's one of us or there's a you know, couple who do you bounce your ideas off? Who do you get your inspiration from? Those sorts of things. Now, I turned to Twitter um, and had a, a huge network build up on Twitter because I found that a really useful space for me. Also turned to Don Taylor's Learning and Skills Group and the webinars there, which were really useful still even now. And we're talking, you know, well over a decade later. So I wanted there to be a book for people like me, that practitioner in post who wanted to be able to sort of dip into something easily to be able to say, you know, what what could's the freshest thinking on that? You know, what ideas could I try about this? Um, and so I wrote it for the sole practitioner. What's also, of course, uh, in my mind is sometimes we've got responsibility for L&D when we're a line manager mm. uh, or when we're a HR generalist. And so there's, there's huge use cases for the book in those circumstances as well, because as a line manager, if you are into people development, you've got so many other things on your mind, so many other task orientated things, as well as the people development side of things, that making a book which is really easily accessible was super important to me so that everyone who uses it and reads it can dip in and out as they need to. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love that. I think that's, it really comes across that you absolutely know your audience your readers when I read it you know because it's just it's so easy to read and that's like that's a real compliment because I think you know a lot of books aren't and so you kind of end up putting them down and don't ever come back to them and what I love about your book is really practical and you mentioned actually uh, about Twitter and you are very prolific on Twitter and you post lots of really super helpful stuff so just for our, our listeners what what's your what's your Twitter handle do they want to follow you it's uh, at MIPS1608, M-I-P-S, my initials, 1608, my birthday. Please do send in the birthday cards. And so that's how you find me on most uh, most platforms or just by my name. I'm quite fortunate that uh, oh. there's not a lot of Michelle Perry Slaters out there. No, definitely, definitely not. So I think, you know, just going back to kind of, I guess, the, the, the premise of the book, one of the fundamental ideas you talk about is this need to shift to a more more modern workplace learning approach, which... I think sounds really exciting. So can you tell us more about that, what you mean by that? And, you know, what, what's what's the idea behind that? OK, so the idea is largely that we need to shift away from being reactive. Um, and by reactive, I mean, as I said earlier, somebody comes to us and says, you know, Bob wants to go on a course and we go, yes, we have this course or that course or the other course. Now, I think 
in truth, I think we have already started to make that shift. It isn't uh, a very usual learning and development department that only offers the core solution. Um, but we're still not there to a full suite of, okay, well, why does Bob need to go on a course? Um, okay, we identify why Bob needs to go on a course. That becomes part of our measure. How do we know that we're going to have done anything to shift Bob's thinking and behaviour and skills? Um, you know, we know where he is at the beginning or she. Um, and we, we then can, you know, put an intervention in place that's more suited to that individual. Now, the challenge with that is when we're talking about this personalization of a, of a learning experience is that can we do that for everybody across a huge organization? You know, somebody's listening, thinking, well, Michelle, I've got 54,000 people in my organization. How on earth can I offer an individual route? So my view is, and that there's a diagram of this uh, in the book, is that we can offer the formal boxes. We can offer, you know, a course or um, maybe it's a, an online event or maybe it's a conference that somebody would go to. We can offer those. But it's how we wrap that in two other layers. Now, one of those layers is a suite of different resources for people to call upon when they need it. So we're not offering just in time uh, just uh, in case learning through the formal route we're also offering just in time learning so i you know something i need to pull on maybe it's a ted talk to inspire me before i go and do a really important sales pitch for example mm. the second layer that's wrapped around all of that is community so knowing that we've got people I can talk to, people I can go to. So that community may be as simple as here is a list of all the people in our organization and their specialist skills. If you've got a problem with pivot tables in Excel, speak to Agnes who works in finance, you know, and, and that's the resource that L&D might be providing. That's a limited community. Ideally, you would have more of a community which is a place to ask questions in the moment, get real-time instant messages, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And if we think about other aspects of our lives, we do start with the community. So yeah. if you're interested in cycling, you'll be hanging out with other cyclists. You know, if you're interested in, in music, Emma, like I know you are, yeah. you, know, you know where the musos hang out and, and that's where you get your inspiration, your, your literal muse. So wrapping stuff in community is, is the sort of almost secret source really that people can get the best answer. What happens if you don't do that is what's happened forever. You ask the person sitting next to you. Now, obviously, while we're all working virtually, you ask the people that you know. And that even more limits our community because you're not physically sitting next to somebody. You may only know a few people in your organisation that you feel comfortable, you know, getting on a Teams call with. And so our pool of knowledge is shrinking from where we're fishing. And so L&D needs to take a proactive stance, I think, in order to support us with um, you know, a more modern approach, which is more around what people need in the moment in order to do their job, to be an unblocker. Yeah, no, I love that because like you say, outside of work, you know, we use communities all the time, don't we? For whatever it is we, we, we need help with and recommendations. Anyone know someone that, you know, at the moment I, I'm asking recommendations of people that are for, for driving structures that are super, super patient for my Aspie, 17 year old you know and it's and it's we wouldn't think twice about that but as you say inside organizations it's not as easy to do that is it so I love that um something that you talk about that I think will be maybe controversial I don't think it's controversial but some might think it's controversial is um you, you talk about face-to-face -face learning being no longer fit for purpose so can you talk to us about why you think that and, and what we need to do about this 
Face-to-face learning has not been fit for purpose for a very long time. And if we think about where it came from, when we were moving from field to factory, we needed people to have some specific skills. Um, And similarly, in a post-war environment where we set up uh, a lot of new type of businesses, um, we needed people to have specific skills. And at those times, we were very limited on resource. So we may have had, you know, one book, one teacher, one expert, so, you know, Mm -hmm. one person who could share with others. And so it made sense in those settings But now, you know, we all carry, a lot of us carry a mobile phone in our pocket where we can get any information that we need at any time. So why would we wait for a face-to-face setting, you know, a course, something that's going to happen in three months time? We need to know today the world is so impatient. And, you know, I think quite rightly so, because that's what keeps us moving. And and the, the speed of change is such that if we don't keep up, we're going to be way, way left behind. And when you think about just even 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I had in my company, and when I was working in a global organization, I had a desktop computer and I had a Blackberry. Okay. But actually in my house, I had a laptop and a smartphone. I was better equipped at home to find things I needed to find, to work where I needed to work, to do what I needed to do than I was in my workplace. Now, thankfully, we're not there now. People generally have got a smartphone and a laptop um, in their workplace settings. And yet we're still expecting them to go to a hotel with strip lit lights and a boxed room to be inspired for learning. That doesn't work. This is not, this is just not how we live our lives. So I do want to be clear I don't think we should throw face-to-face out. I think it's hugely valuable, but it's what we do there in that space that's important. So considering when you used to go, you know, maybe a week-long program and you'd stay overnight in the hotel, and the the good stuff there was not necessarily what happened from nine to five. It was what happened from five till 10 in the evening. It was the, you know, or the coffee breaks or the lunch breaks and that networking, that making connections, that human to human interaction, that learning from others, all of that hugely valuable. Right. My proposition is that we do that. We call it networking. We call it sense making. We flip the classroom so that the knowledge stuff happens when people need it. But yeah. the sense making happens in the moment in that face to face environment. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I was reading some, um, I think it might have been maybe Linda Grattan or somebody talking in Harvard Business Review about hybrid working and, um, you know, hybrid, very, people are very much focused on location, haven't they? And it's obviously, we know, we know it's much more location. It's about the time. It's about job craft, all those wonderful things, but just something really simple. Um, an office designer was saying how we've kind of need to flip the design. So previously to open plan for what we do on our own, our desk or our laptop, and then meeting rooms behind closed doors for the, for the sense making, but he's saying, let's flip that. It's like, that is so obvious as most great ideas are that we should be having the open plan bit for all the, you know, the kind of the, the meetings, the sense making, the collaboration that, you know, that, that, that part of our work and the bit we need to kind of focus, we should be locked away for. It's obvious. Yeah. But I just it never now you say it out loud. I'm like, absolutely. I call it, I talk about make better cake. Okay. So how do you get people involved? How do you get people enthusiastic for your ideas? How do you encourage people to try new stuff? make better cake if you create something that's exciting that's good that works that shows value and of course in my context I'm talking about a new learning program or whatever you know an experience of learning that's different from before people want to have some of that you know people want to come along go I heard there was great cake where's the cake 
what you've just described is exactly that. If you imagine that energy is in an open plan space, you know, where you're creating, I don't know, your next five year strategy for your organization, how wonderful it would be to be wandering around there making coffee and hearing what they're talking about. Yeah. that energy would be just so lifting that's it and having never having a closed meeting ever again and actually you know um a few years ago we we were lucky enough to work with lush who are just such an amazing company to work with and we did some ex design work with them i went down to their offices in pool beautiful offices as you'd imagine and they've got this great space in the middle of, of this floor it's kind of a little bit, it's not really shut off. It's got a few screens, but it's not, it's open plan. And we ran the whole day in there and we were like running a kind of an EX design sprint. And so it, the rest of the office could hear it and people were sort of chipping in and they were interested. They were coming and having a look and they were getting involved and it just works so well. It was really energizing, exciting, you know, rather than being at the Nova Talent London Bridge where I used to do a lot of my training with the CIP, yeah. design, which yeah. is very kind of a bland not very exciting kind of place yeah. place to learn. but I think it's really I mean it's really helpful I think to um the way you explain so beautifully the difference between um you're not saying you're, you're, what you're saying is that absolutely we need to make connections and, and, and be in person with, with people just be, get really clear about the purpose of that so I think that's, that's really helpful because I think there's yeah. a big debate at the moment about you know do we get back into the office or not and people need to be in people and there's this whole debate about it isn't there so it's I think what it's- you're doing in the space that becomes really yeah. important mm. um, and it if we're doing the wrong thing if we're if we're expecting people to sit down with a notebook and take a load of notes because you've got a sage on the stage you just don't need that yeah head talks 20 minutes of absolute pure injection of genius yeah. you know yeah. why aren't you curating those and saying right when we're going to do a new leadership program here are 10 ted talks we're going to watch these before you come you know and then come along and talk about what was what was your favorite what spun out for you what in your context makes the most sense you know what inspired you what you didn't you like that's just a much better use of time because people there are making sense of what they're experiencing and seeing and learning and applying it to the their work context and I think that that's where face-to-face has gone wrong in the past where we I call it injection education you go along you get your five-day sessions you get injections every day of knowledge of information and then you go back to your day job yeah forget it all injections worn off and then you remember it back. You're like, oh, I remember that thing I learned on that course. It was, yeah, quite interesting. And I think um, something that really resonated with me, uh, and I hadn't appreciated this, was how many similar themes there were with what you talk about in your book and then what um, I've talked about in, in my first book and then the book I wrote with Belinda. So, for example, you know, aligning a business strategy, starting with why, the empathy piece, the, um, you know putting the end user i.e. employees at the center of the whole process what's going to work for them um, and I thought that was really really interesting and it kind of made me wonder if actually if there is a need to shift the whole way we approach the people side of the business oh it, definitely yeah. <laughs> definitely come on let's do it absolutely I, I didn't know your work when I wrote my book but then when we got to know each other and I wrote I was like oh this is just singing singing to me because it is about people experience all of it you know your work my work organizational development work it is all about at heart people and when you consider you know the awful treatments at the moment with P&O and how those people Mm -hmm. are treated and you know that that's not a single incident that that sort of uh, experience of hire and refire is going on around around the country which is quite shocking still but when you consider when we don't do something with heart 
when we don't do something when we're people people focus first so from Ellen Deep's perspective what do you need to learn and mm. how can I help you learn it what happens is the ramifications of that are huge you know the 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 piano will anyone ever use their ferries again ever <laughs> you know the yeah. reputational damage and then when you consider um you know organizations that have failed to to really focus in on people and they're leaving in drones that the great resignation is a thing because people aren't recognizing that you know they, they, they've enjoyed being at home they've got new puppies they want to stay at home because of their yeah. you know so there's loads of of knock-on effects if we don't get the people stuff right mm. and i definitely think that we need to um, be more people focused when it comes to lnd absolutely and i know i mean you mentioned before that kind of the there's a course for that kind of um, approach and we talk we joke about it in our world you know there's an app for that you want an app first and um you know that it's definitely a big problem i think in, in our world and i you know, I've, I've, I've thought long and hard about this about how we can make it easy for practitioners to do the right thing um but often businesses they just want a quick and easy fix and you talk about is it your sticking plasters um yeah yeah, yeah I, I love that analogy. So, so tell us a bit about that. So this is really where the book was born in truth, that when I became a sole practitioner, um, I realised that over my time, as I mentioned with LSG webinars and, and networking, I'd learned some stuff and I thought, well, this might be useful to share. And so I started to tweet it out every day, one tweet a day, um, just with an idea that somebody could try or a thought, because mm. we need to move away from that sticking plasters approach, you know, where we just kind of, the course is the sticking plaster. It doesn't affect anything. Let's go back to Bob. Bob wants a course. We send him on a course and then it's business as usual. When he goes back, nothing changes, no behavior shift because no one's yeah. looking at embedding it. You know, there's no skills uplift because no one really was checking out what skills he needed in the first place. Mm. And those sorts of activities that uh, L&D get involved in, if you're being charged in your L&D department with how many courses have you put on tick you've done a really good job actually what have you affected to the business nothing at all but no one cares about that so 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 my approach is that if we can just shift away by trying some tiny things um, what that helps us do is prove value it helps us the next time somebody comes to us and says you know can you put Bob on a course yeah well tell me what you're trying to achieve here you know what is the problem that, that we're trying to solve by putting them on a course just that one question will then give you more insight in which to be able to um, you know offer something more valuable it might be that mentoring is the way forward it might be that you know going out with somebody um, who is really good at the job to inspire to motivate to encourage to learn from might be the better option and the better spend it might be a coach you know there's lots of different solutions but whilst we just stick a plaster over it with um, you know counting um, people sitting in a room or counting uh, spend or or you know mm. counting the wrong stuff we're, we're not really getting to the root of actually what we need to fix Mm, yeah it's really interesting I think again for me it just comes back to the, the point you make right at the beginning which is that kind of start with your why and we do you know a lot of work with clients where we spend quite a bit of time on that scoping space because often they'll come to us and what they think they want is not actually what they need and I know you've got a great chapter in the book on sort of stakeholder management and you know I think that's that's really critical and and I mean we I mean the the, the People have, we do do, you know, quite a bit of kind of development work in, in our field around engagement and experience. And so often, you know, clients come to us and they'll want the moon on a stick, <laughs> quite yeah. rightly. And then they'll say, but we, we can't take people away from the day job. We've got, they've got six, we've got 60 minutes. And it's like, 
you know, and that, that negotiation of what you can really achieve in 60 minutes. And we kind of get there. We have some quite tough conversations, don't you, in our world? So yes. We got on that. Yeah. So it is a lot of um, a lot of early doors understanding of what's the problem that you're trying to solve and how are you prepared to, to, to solve it. So I try to make the analogy back to their real business. So if they are in the widget manufacturing industry, you know, we talk about well, what's realistic for how many widgets you might manufacture in an hour. And we really can get down to a cost potentially. OK, well, we take those people away for one hour that's the that's the cost to you are you prepared to invest that amount of money um you know similarly call center handlers i think there's a there's a case study in my book from a client i worked with who you know they've, they've got people they, they don't want to pull them off the phones okay well that's fine but what's the cost of leaving them on the phones when they don't know what they're doing you know yeah. what's the impact to the customers what's the reputational damage and you know investigating all of those with your stakeholders because what you're doing there is you're talking about a language that they understand mm. but all the while you're talking about people development they've no interest because yeah. that's not a language that they really are caring about or understanding but if you can make a demonstration of this is the consequence of doing nothing. This is the consequence of taking this action, you know, and this is the consequence of sending them all on a five-day programme or whatever. They'll have a jolly fine time. There'll be a really tight-knit community when they get back, but it won't necessarily have shifted anything forward. So mm. you really need to get under the skin of your business, I think. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, it's, we talk about a lot. And, again, sort of linking it back to the world of engagement experience, it, it's, it's always really shocking to me the amount of money that's invested in you know the survey so pre-app days it'd be like the big kind of online survey now you know a lot of money spent you know software as a service model you know it's it, per user per month per app and yet no investment or little investment in in helping managers to get good at this stuff right so it's like well we know that managers make a biggest difference to how we feel at work so mm-hmm. and i have a real bugbear like, i think managers get a lot of stick for well it's you know it's down to the managers but no one's ever helped them to get good at engaging their people you know they don't it's, it's a horrible term anyway it's like they don't know where to start and there's very few managers that want to come to work and do a rubbish job most of them probably want to do this but they haven't got a clue so yeah. it's just shifting that mindset which isn't always easy is it so i think it's some some really good stuff in the book around um around how to practically you know take take these ideas and, and, and apply them so brings me on to you know one of the things i loved about the book i love the fact that you've got the short read the longer version so you know it, it, it you're really living what you know practicing what you preach here aren't you in terms of you know different ways you can absorb the information yeah. and learn so if you're in a hurry you've got the short version if, you know or the longer version you've got your 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 tweets you've got your um action points so, so tell us a bit more about that and where all that came from and how that's helped so, people something you said earlier actually resonated with me about you know books do you, do you just pick them up and put them down again because it's just so hard to read them i'm not a natural reader mm. um i am quite an impatient person I'm married to a teacher and I think five years taking somebody from year seven to, to GCSEs I'm like god five years that's way too long um being in girl guiding I've learned patience I have to say um, but what I wanted to do was produce a book for busy people you know people who are mums and carers and dog walkers and all this stuff outside of work um, that, that gets in the way of thinking and gets in the way of, of you know how much time you might want to dedicate to your own your own professional development so I've structured each chapter the same way there is a short read technically you could read the whole book in maybe you know an hour hour and a half depending on how slow you are at reading 
reading and, and just get the gist of what I think about each of the topics. Um, at the end of each chapter, there are things like the set list. So the idea behind that is what mindset do you need in order to progress this? Um, you know, what skill set do you need? What tools, what tool set do you need to have? And data as well, what data set do you need? Just to start people thinking around some things that are perhaps not more na as, as natural as they you know, might be um, mm. from an L&D perspective and just giving them little snippets. So if you've read it and you want to come back to it, maybe you're going into a stakeholder meeting, you can just pick it up and just have a look through some of the thinking questions, um, you know, in advance of your meeting and just by way of being able to sort of pick up and put down. I mean, it is a handbook after all. It's not uh, start at the beginning, finish it at the end. Um, but what I'm finding interesting in the feedback is a lot of people say they're starting with the short reads and they're getting a favour for it. And then they're feeling really like, oh, I want to I want to read more. And that's exactly what I was hoping for. So it's good to get that sort of feedback, people messaging on Twitter and LinkedIn and so on. No, I loved it. I, I love the short reads. So that, like you said, I've done exactly that. I've kind of done the short reads and gone back in when I thought, oh, I need a bit of that. So bringing me on to one of the chapters about social learning, which I thought was just really fascinating. So talk to us about what you mean by social learning and, and how we can, and we've kind of hinted about it already, really. We talked a bit about it already, but how can we really use social learning at work? For me, it's very simple. It's people learning from people. We've done it forever. We've done it before we had classroom. We've done it before we had books. We've done it forever. And so it's really getting back to what people are good at, which is learning from others. Now, you know, you're born and you instantly start learning from everything around you. You have the curiosity of a child. Um, you know, you, you observe, you copy, you try, you fail, you, you go another way. And it's that really, for me, is all wrapped up in this sense of social learning. So creating spaces within work where that can happen, um, where it's absolutely acceptable to do that is really important. And um, one of the chapters of the book, um, I talk about environment, permission and culture, and it's wrapped up in this really, that people learning from people, great, how do we do that? We do that, for example, through um, more formal settings in lunch and learn. So you may have a whole programme, 12 lunch and learns once a month. Let's get together, bring on lunch and chat um, about it. And the L&D department can put those on. If you do that, will people learn? Will people come? Will people learn from each other? Will it be a social learning environment? Not necessarily. Because what you also need to wrap around that is how, how are we doing it? What environment are we doing that in? Are we physically having it? Are we having it hybrid? Are we having it through Zoom? You know, thinking carefully about that learning environment. If it's in Zoom, is it going to be sandwiched between people's meetings? Should we start it 10 minutes after the hour and finish it 10 minutes before the hour so people have got time to knit to the loo or grab a coffee? Those sorts of levels of detail are really important to facilitate that social learning. Otherwise, what happens is people are too busy to come, they don't rock up, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Similarly, thinking about permission, in that permission, who's speaking, who's not speaking, how are we speaking, you know? So setting at the beginning, you know, we're gonna do this in Zoom, pop your hand up if you've got a comment, we really wanna hear from you. Anytime, pop something in the chat, anytime you like, you know, any questions that you've got, keep them coming. And, you know, maybe you want a producer who's feeding the questions to the speaker. There's lots of different things, but you just yeah. need to be really clear on, on that sort of structure and on mm -hmm. what's, what's allowed, what's not allowed. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really perverse because people have been doing social learning for years. Yeah. So why can't people just talk to each other? Yeah. But actually, yeah. people in a work setting, is it okay? You know, when you used to be in the office and you'd be having that coffee for just a little bit too long. 
mm. you know, and be like, oh, where's Michelle gone? She's been ages, you know, but actually yeah. I might have been learning about, you know, the finance yeah. strategy and all the, the, the latest research that's being done um, in a different department. This is all useful stuff. So for that to be okay, this is why you also need to address this whole cultural piece, mm. how learning lands in your organisation, um, you know, social learning goes on whether you like it or not. It's when yeah. you it usefully and surface it that, that becomes key. Mm. I think that's just a great example of one of the tools that I really love from the book. It's just really simple, but really helpful. Um, as you say, you know, outside of work, we kind of just crack on with social learning. We just make it happen and make it work. And yeah, you've got like moderators on, on you know, community groups on Facebook to make sure people behave, what have you. But kind of know the rules. But the minute you sort of step inside the workplace, suddenly that it feels different. Right. And I remember... In fact, I talk about it in, in, in my, my first book years ago when I was working for a, a, an energy company we, it was before social media. And I wish I'd re- recognised the value of what we had at the time, but I didn't. But um, basically, they, they set up this, this internet and they had like a kind of like, I suppose, a, like a, a forum where you'd go on and just chat. And it was just like 2001. So it's like before social oh, media. Yeah, very radical. Very radical. But what, what happened was when we kind of... Um, went through a merger and um I was looking off the comms team at the time and there was one person whose full-time job it was to moderate this this application because people were putting all sorts of stuff on you can imagine right and so we we, we we knew it had legs so we kind of used the tool and we kind of rebranded it and we we absolutely looked at environment visual though we didn't have the model at the time but we looked at how we could use it so it's much more moderated we had a kind of a you know, a sort of a, we call it, it think tank. You had a think tank. I think, like you know, every couple of weeks, and with a, with a purpose, we're going to think about. We, one think tank was about nectar card. We how can we use the nectar card? You know, so we had a, a purpose to it. And if we were doing nectar card, we got the right people behind the scenes to come on and answer questions. So we were able to use it effectively, and it worked brilliantly well. And like I say, I wish I'd realised. Yeah, what, what you're yeah. you know, you know, talking about there is creating something yeah. psychologically safe yeah so um you know if you treat people like adults they generally behave like adults but they do need to understand purpose like you say so this is why i mentioned earlier you know you join the cycling club because your purpose is you want you know you want to get better at cycling you're interested in cycling and we will naturally do this in our private lives but in a work setting Mm. we might need to um to sort of massage it a little bit and then this becomes the role of lnd and uh, andy lancaster who we've got a huge amount of respect and time for um he talks about a story where um actually the the when let let free reign um the the most prolific um group on a a social network within a work setting was the vegan cookery group Mm. because they were all coming together they weren't talking about vegan cookery particularly they were just talking to each other and I've got this challenge and do you know how we can solve that and you know it's because you're creating networks within the work setting they just so happen to have started out with their vegan cookery group connections so this is why I think we need to as L&D professionals get a lot better at networking a lot better at making connections a lot better I call it the oil and the glue in the book that we're there to stick people together and we're there to smooth the way 
Um, And this is a big shift for a lot of us because we've started, I started out as a sage on the stage. You know, I was the person who was training in the room. I had the knowledge. I was imparting it to you, you know, but actually that isn't necessarily where we need to be. You find somebody with the knowledge, with the input, with the interest and and you as an L&D professional will help them share that in the best possible way so that social learning can take place. What we don't want is, you know, when you're at uni and that that professional, boring boring lectures that you possibly could have ever gone to yeah (laughs) so we don't want that we want to make sure that we're constantly engaged so who's doing this really well then what companies can we look to that you think they are they they've got this right they're just way ahead who's doing it really well i think there's no answer to that question because context is huge right context really comes into play so whilst i might be doing it you know really well in in company z Company Y have got a whole different context, so it wouldn't work. I think the people who are doing it well are the people who are actually trialing new stuff. So it might not be a finished article. So I recently, um, uh, at the uh, Learning Technologies Digital Days, heard uh, Satnam uh, Sagu speak from um, British Red Cross. Mm. And she is doing fantastic work. She's well deserving of her um, Colin Calder Award that she recently got from the RPI um, as Learning Professional of the Year. And a lot of what she's doing is taking um, a lot of things I put in my book about things like stakeholders and and really engaging with with the wider organisation so that anything they put out in a learning context has, has come from a place which has got a solid foundation. They know it's going to look, work because they've done their research. A lot of evidence, um, you know, based approaches to, to things. So she's definitely worth looking up um, for, um, mm. you know, how are they doing it there? But there's lots of little snippets of, of experiences. And there's every, every chapter in the book has got a case study. And that mm. felt important to me. Um, but after the case study, I pose sort of, you know, thoughts and questions because a case study is rubbish unless you can apply it to your context. Yeah. yeah. So it's really important that they're not just nice stories and they can actually demotivate you because you can think, oh, wow, well, of course they can do it because they've got loads of budget or of course they can do it because they've got loads of resource. Mm. But actually you want to be able to say, well, what can I take from that and apply in my context? Um, So there's lots of snippets of really good practice going on. But I'm not going to hold anybody particularly. I'm going to shout out Satnam because she did a really good job. But I'm also going to shout out, for example, um, World Vision UK. They're doing fantastic, fantastic work on diversity and inclusion and listening exercises. They're listening really, really well to their teams and, um, you know, at very senior level, listening to everybody in the teams. So, you know, that story has been told on Learning Now TV. So another area where you can go and get some good stories if you want to find out. But just I think, you know, anyone who tries something new that they haven't tried before, they're doing it well because it takes bravery. And if you're going to be brave enough to do that, you're doing it well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. So um, I'm mindful that we're getting towards the end of our time together. So what are the kind of, um, I don't know, your key top tips or your key golden nuggets you'd share with someone just starting out in this world, right? You know, your absolute must-dos. Find your people. 
So find yourself a, a tribe, if you want to use that word, or a network, if you want to use that word. Sometimes network's quite scary because it feels a little bit closed and we don't want to, you know, it feels a bit awkward to get into. But, um, you know, definitely recommend Twitter, recommend LinkedIn. Instagram is getting a lot more traction these days, I have to say, for the professional yeah. side of things. So that could be a good place to go. But find people who you can get inspiration from, who you can um, get ideas from, um, because... If you are by yourself or even if you're in an organization which is perhaps, you know, got a large L&D team, but they just want to keep doing what they're doing, mm. you need a cheer squad. That's the, yeah. the word I use in the book. You need a cheer squad to, to support you. And I would definitely say if you're new to this, you know, come along. So things like um, L&D Cowork, which was a, a small group that uh, I, I set up with Fiona McBride. We've now got um, co-work meetings all over the country. They're starting back to face-to-face. We had one um, just last week in Brighton. Um, so coming along and working alongside other professionals um, for the day or even just for, for an hour, you know, they're free and they're open to you. Um, LD Insight, which is a hashtag that you could tweet on on a Friday. So between eight and nine UK time on a Friday morning, that just goes out on Twitter. A question gets posed and people pile in and, you know, yeah. just... Find people who are going to be there to support you and to remind you that you're not crazy if you want to move to a more modern approach in L&D. There are people out there trying to do this. Um, Another good resource is check out the awards. So there's lots of different industry awards, the um, LPI's Learning Awards or the CIPD's People Management Awards and the Learning Technologies Awards, which I think are probably the best in the business. Um, and see who the winners are and see what their stories are and connect to them on LinkedIn. Find out more from them because you'll learn loads and you'll you'll kind of miss the steps. What you don't want to do is start out in L&D, start with courses and, you know, an LMS and that and, and work your way up. You know, just skip all that. Just go straight to the end. Be consultative. Yeah. Work with your stakeholders. Get good learning experiences out there. Mm, no, I love that. That's really, really good advice. I think... Um, some really good practical sort of tips there and some great places for people to go and like I say meet their tribe meet I, I call them PLUs people like us, people <laughs> I need to like us. PLUs it's, um, it's good to find people not like you as well actually because that gives yeah. you sort of wider no, right. broader experience I, I actively seek out people that I disagree with yes and um, you know yes. in order to find out well why am I disagreeing with why are they rubbing up the wrong way but then I do retreat to my personal learning network yeah. because yeah. it feels yeah. more comfortable definitely definitely and um just one last question before we finish what next so where where does this world go where is this where, where do you want to see it go next well I think that uh, thanks to the pandemic we have um we, we've sped up the shift um one of the chapters in the book is evolution or revolution do mm. we need to just chuck it all away and start again and I think in real terms no we do need to evolve but that evolution has absolutely sped up so organizations that were steadfastly you know face to face is the only way to go um have realized that that can't be their only option anymore um and I'm really glad about that because that's that's what my business does Kairos Modern Learning supports people to move away from only offering face to face and the reason I believe that that's so true is because you're never going to reach everybody um, with one way of doing something and so offering the same information in multiple ways for learning is really the future as far as I'm concerned you know it could be that one-stop resource or it could be a book it could be a library of books it could be a video there's loads of different ways that we can get stuff out to people 
And yeah. I think we've got a lot to learn from our colleagues in marketing and PR, to be honest. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, on, on that point, I'm actually just... We are in the process of developing, um, evolving our um, offer of, of, of the, the, the courses that we do. I mean, we've been running them online for quite a while, but we want to make them much more. Uh, I don't like the term blended learning. I don't know why. I just it's it doesn't work for me. But you know, much more kind of multifaceted and, and um, you know, lots of different ideas for people in terms of how they can kind of you know move themselves forward. So definitely a good challenge for me to kind of take that next step so thank you so much Michelle really really appreciate you making time to speak to us um we will um obviously be sharing this this uh reset show far and wide and we'll make sure we share a link to your book as well so people can get hold of that so thank you Michelle it's been an absolute pleasure and um hopefully I'll we'll, we'll catch up soon yes we'd love to yeah thanks for having me on Emma I appreciate it take care cheers bye